This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Amen. Welcome to Elevate. It's the best night of the week. I'm so pumped to be here with you and continue this series with you. Who was here last week? Yeah, did y'all like diving into our new series? Bricks and mortar? We are studying the tenets, the pillars of the Christian faith. Just like lemonade, remember that? A lemonade recipe. If maybe you had a lemonade stand and you thought to yourself, I think it would be a great idea to swap out sugar for salt. Or maybe... I'm not into lemons, so I'll swap out the lemons for pineapples. Like, you may have something that tastes good, except for the salt, but it's not going to be lemonade anymore. And what we're studying is, what are the foundation stones of Christianity that if any of these was changed or removed, it's no longer Christianity? And tonight we're going to start with the first foundation stone, and it is Scripture. So I've got something simple here that I dug out of my kid's Play-Doh drawer this morning. Scripture refers to God's people often as clay, referring also to himself as the potter. And so I've got Plato, and also brought this little mold, and it's nothing terribly significant, it's just a little blue mold, but hopefully it'll convey the idea that I'm trying to get across. Elevate men and women of God. You have a decision to make, and I'd like you to make that decision tonight if you have the courage to do so. You see, because a mold is what you use to shape Play-Doh, or let's call it clay, for the sake of Scripture. And so you know if you press your clay into a mold, it comes out with the shape of that mold, right? It makes sense? It even has like Play-Doh written in plastic, and you can find it on the bottom of our clay here. So the decision I'd like you to make tonight is what is the mold and what is the clay? Is scripture your mold and you are the clay that you can form and transform and take the shape of scripture, your life decisions, your future, your purpose, your past, all of who you are, what you do with your money, who you spend your time with is all formed and shaped by the mold of scripture or are you the mold and scripture as you read it conforms to you and your stances, opinions, beliefs. That's the decision I'd like you to make tonight. Who is the mold and who is the clay? Which are you, the mold or the clay? Let me grab my notes. This may seem like a strange question. You may say, well, obviously I know. But that is not historically true, and it's not true with what's going on in Christianity today at all. Paul predicts this. He says it to Timothy. He says, the time is coming when people are not going to endure or stand for sound teaching, strong, stable, unmoving, concrete teaching. People aren't going to stand for it. They're not going to endure it. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What we will do is we will find teachers that will teach us the Bible in a way that makes us the mold, and Scripture has to conform to us. And as Elijah talked about several weeks ago, 
Jude actually gives us a message specifically to this. He says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend, wrestle, fight for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. As Christians, we are called to stand against, to fight, to contend for sound scripture, for sound doctrine, for historical orthodox Christianity. And the newest heresy, the newest poisoned, skewed, grayed version of Christianity is progressive Christianity. And it comes in undercover. It's subtle. The Huffington Post defined progressive Christianity as this. Progressive Christianity is a post-liberal movement within Christianity that seeks to reform the faith. Reform the faith via its insights of postmodernism and a reclaiming of truth. They're saying that they're reclaiming truth by affirming the truths within the biblical stories that may not have actually happened. Every reformation in history, in Christianity, has always been an attempt to get back to Scripture. But what this heresy is doing is it's actually encouraging people to pull away from Scripture. You're the mold, Scripture is the clay, and you can mold it however you want. Progressive Christianity presents itself as being more loving, more tolerant, and attractive. It's just seemingly a better version of Christianity. But progressive Christianity is as opposed to true Christianity as cancer is opposed to the body. And what it does is it comes in undercover and it subtly begins to chip away until the life-saving message of Christianity has been totally aborted. Because Christianity does not have an easy message. It's actually hard. It's challenging. It digs at us. It turns a spotlight around onto our own sin and says that the only hope for a Savior is Jesus. And it takes a life of surrender to Him. That's an uncomfortable message for a selfish people. But as soon as you begin to pull away the foundation stones of Christianity and you start molding the faith to fit what you want and you get rid of everything uncomfortable, you lose the very thing that gives life from it. It esteems Jesus as one of many ways to achieve a form of some sort of spiritual enlightenment. And it downplays the person, the work, and the exclusivity of Jesus. It creates a self-centered gospel looking inward for God. You set the standard for your own right and wrong. And you dismiss all obligation to a higher authority. It encourages deconstructing your faith, but offers no tools of how to build it back again. And ultimately, this form of heresy that is sweeping the nation is actually becoming an exit door for Christians from the faith altogether. Surveys are showing that churches that are beginning to shift this direction are hemorrhaging members. Because once you deconstruct everything that makes Christianity life-saving, there's no reason to stick around anymore. And you have the adherents, the followers of progressive Christianity, and they're left floating, answerless, drifting, and there's nothing to hold on to when life gets really, really hard. Whereas Christianity, I'm telling you, when suffering comes, and it will come for all of us, Christianity offers an anchor and a hope to endure. 
The U.S. Treasury, as I mentioned last week, supposedly teaches its people to spot counterfeit money. But it doesn't teach people how to to spot the 10,000 different ways you could remake a $100 bill. It teaches them what a genuine $100 bill looks like so that they can spot anything that's different. And that's what we're doing with this series. And tonight we're tackling a foundational doctrine of Christianity of Scripture. What is Scripture? Where does it come from? How do we view it as Christians? First of all, before we tackle how does a Christian view the Bible, what is the Bible? And if you're here for the Book of Books series, you've heard me say this before, but I want to reiterate for anybody that's new. It is not one book, but it's 66 books written in three different languages by 40-plus authors from several countries, diverse historical settings, and written between 1,440 B.C. until A.D. 100. They were historians, these authors, priests, governors, musicians, kings, prophets, a tax collector, a shepherd, a doctor, a tent-making theologian, and a few fishermen. Despite the differences of their personalities, of their languages, of their locations, and time periods, they attested to the same God of the same character with the same purposes. God spoke through these authors and gave them distinct puzzle pieces which profoundly and miraculously fit together. But the puzzle was incomplete. It was merely a frame until Jesus the Christ walked onto the scene. And the center of this puzzle is filled in, fitting him perfectly. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And that completed puzzle, that phenomenon of continuity and power, is what we call the Bible. And it has three purposes. The Bible's first purpose is to give God glory, period. If nothing else happens but people open the Bible and go, wow, how great our God is. That is its first purpose. Secondly, it gives people the knowledge of who God is so that by the knowledge of God they come to salvation. And third, it equips God's people for worship and for life in the world. So how does a Christian view the Bible? 2 Timothy 3, 14-16. Turn your Bibles or look at the screen. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this. As for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of. Now, who is Timothy learning from? He was learning from Jesus' apostles, from those that walked with Jesus. Because you know those whom you learned it from those whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is how a a Christian views the Bible. So what does God-breathed mean? The power of the Bible doesn't come from moving rhetoric. It doesn't come from wise advice. It doesn't come from motivational anecdotes. It doesn't come from moral philosophies or clever life applications. The power of the Word of God comes from the identity of its author, God himself. You see, because if God himself wrote this, then there's three things that are true about it. One, if God, sovereign creator of the universe, 
wrote this and it's God breathed for us, then number one, it's true. We can trust that it's true. Number two, it's as eternal as God is. It is everlasting. It will not change. And number three, it is authoritative. Authoritative, let's look at that. What does authoritative mean? If it's God's word, then scripture, the Bible, stands over us as being the final authority in our lives. If creator God wrote it for us, then it holds weight and nothing less than God's word leads us, teaches us, and is an authority. Now, every time... Every time we approach Scripture, and this is the dividing line between Christianity and progressive Christianity, is progressive Christianity does not see Scripture as authoritative. That's it. That's the line. Every time that you hear someone say, well, what I think the Bible means is this. Well, this part of the Bible, yeah, that's not really true for me. This part right here, I, I don't think that uh, this carries weight anymore. The common denominator across all of those is I. I get to be the mold, and Scripture has to fit me. What I think, what my stances are, what my political views are, my emotions. But the potter does not conform to the clay. The clay conforms to the will of the potter. The doctrine of Scripture, right down here at the bottom, right there, blink. The doctrine of Scripture, this is the first brick that progressive Christianity must remove. Because as soon as you pull this out, there's nothing to stand on. This is God's Word. And I want to give you kind of a, an outlook from a progressive pastor. His name is Reverend Roger Walsey. And he is actually the director of the Wesley Foundation at the University of Colorado. And I'll give you four of his 16 points about how they view Scripture. Proudly. The first one is very simple. We don't think that God wrote the Bible. We think it was written by fallible human beings. Hence, we don't consider it to be infallible or inerrant. Well, straightforward. So we have to decide. Where do we stand? The second thing that he writes. We realize, as if it's just like this obvious truth. We realize that there is no objective one right way to interpret a passage. Each person interprets the path via, interprets the text via their own personal experiences, education, upbringing, sociopolitical context, and more. So everyone gets to interpret however they want. Sam gets to interpret it one way. I get to interpret it another way. Neither of us is right and wrong. Each of us get to be our own mold for Scripture. Elijah, come on down. So this is how they view Scripture. Give Elijah a hand. He's awesome. All right, so what I have here is really goofy glasses. And you get to wear them. Donata. Now, Elijah is going to read the Bible. Sorry if they fall off your face. Elijah is going to read the Bible. But you know what? Elijah doesn't come to it 
cold. It doesn't come to an empty. In fact, he already has preconceived notions. Let's see if you can, can you bend this clip for me. I can attempt. Do that. So once we do that, this becomes really simple. Oh, there we go. There we go. That's what's up. I don't even know if I need this paper clip on the other side. There we go. He's actually now reading scripture through his personal philosophies. Maybe he has some sort of like little Plato mixed in. Maybe he's got some sort of like Buddhism thoughts that work in. Or maybe just his own, he sits around the campfire and thinks a lot. So he comes to scripture and he reads scripture through the lens of his philosophy. Right? Let's, how about another one? Can you unclip me? Beautiful. Here, keep that open. Here's another one that he might read scripture through. I'll just do that. What do you think? Politics. He's already like, I picked the side. I vote my way of voting. This is the camp that I'm in. I get real angry on social media about stuff. So he reads scripture through his political stances. How about another one? Oh, man, this is a common one right here. Thank you, sir. How about this? He reads scripture through his feelings. He looks at scripture and he says, man, God seems really mean there. No, I don't think I like this God. So this God must just be the Old Testament God. Maybe he reads something else and it says that God is wrathful against his sin. And he's like, no, I'm not buying that. I'm going to have to dismiss that. So he's reading scripture through the lens of his feelings. We can take that off. Here's another one. Here's another common one. Thank you. We got this down now. Science is king. Scripture has to conform to science. Science is the mold. Scripture's got to be the clay. We haven't found that city yet. Archaeologists haven't dug it up. It must not be true. I'm just going to have to take Genesis 1 through 11 and throw it out. We're not sure if that, they can't be proven by science yet. You know what's crazy? Most of that stuff keeps getting found out. For about most of archaeology, they said that. David didn't exist, and they just found evidence of his dynasty. Here we go. How about this one? This is a real progressive Christianity thought. Other religions. You need to search other religions for your truth. You need to find other morality, other philosophies, other wisdom. And if I could, if I could digress right here for a minute. Yes. You look beautiful. You. If I could digress right here for a little bit. That is coming from the preconceived notion that the Bible is a collection of philosophies and moral ideas. That's not it at all. Compared to every other faith and religion on the planet, the Bible is a testimony of a real literal event and a description of the meaning of that event for us. Jesus died and resurrected. And that meant something. It's not a collection of philosophies. You might find similar moral truths in other religions. Fine. But this attests to a truth of a literal event. All right, let's. Here's a fun one. People get all knowledgeable whenever they watch that TikTok video that makes them doubt stuff. I'm reading, I'm reading the Bible through my TikTok video lens. Yep, gonna have to doubt everything. This one chick for 20 seconds blew up my faith. Yep. yep. All right, let's do the next one. All right, let's get. Let's get a little serious because this is, this is real life. Maybe I look through the lens of, you know what? I have a gay friend that I just love to pieces. And I just can't accept that things aren't going to just build around this philosophy. Maybe, maybe I'm struggling with my sexuality. 
Maybe I've got close friends or family members, and so I have to read Scripture through this view. And let me speak to you. I am pumped that they have you as their friend, that they have someone that loves Jesus with all their heart as their friend. That excites me as a youth pastor, someone that loves them enough to not only be loving towards them and also speak truth. That's pretty amazing. But we can't read the Bible through that lens. How about this one? This one I see all the time. God just wants me to be happy. This is the point of the Bible. My personal happiness. My best life now. And we read scripture through that lens. When in fact, what we should be doing, if I could swap you out, this got turned into a red card. Pinch up there. Pinch. Beautiful. Beautiful. Instead, we use the Bible to be the lens of how we interpret each of these. Our politics are how are read through the lens of Scripture. Our feelings are interpreted through Scripture. Our philosophies, our stances on things, our friendships, the people that we love, all of that is coming through Scripture First, that's the lens that we use. Thank you, Elijah. You're awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you for looking dopey for a few minutes for me. I appreciate it. Give him a hand. All right, so that's the first two. Let's go to the third point that this guy brings out. The third one is, we employ a, here's a weird word for you, I'll explain it. We employ a hermeneutic of compassion, love, and justice. A hermeneutic is an interpretive lens and intentional filter. The hermeneutic of love. Well, that's it. They're putting on the love lens and they're reading scripture through this. Now, first of all, a hermeneutics is a form of studying literature that is not choosing a lens for yourself. Hermeneutics, by definition, is trying not to have a lens. That you are reading the biblical text for what the author is intending to say. Yes, there is meaning to everything we read in the Bible, but that meaning is limited to what the author is saying. I don't get to say, this is what the author said, but I get to make it mean this. No, what they're doing is they're saying, no, we put on a lens and all the Bible is all about love. And God is love. But that's not what the Bible is about. It's meant to bring him glory. It's meant to teach us the knowledge of who he is. And it's meant to equip us. And the last thing that I want to point out from his article is he says, we follow Jesus' example. It's so crazy. We follow Jesus' example in being willing to reject certain passages and theologies in the Bible and to affirm other ones. Parentheses, Jesus did it a lot. Like that is a bold face lie. In Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, not one jot or tittle, which means like just the little marks, commas and parentheses marks, not one jot or tittle of Scripture, of the Hebrew Bible, will pass away. All of it. Jesus affirmed all of it as Scripture. It is an absolute lie. But, but Christianity, progressive Christianity, downplays or dismisses any texts, any part of the Bible that make life uncomfortable. Anything that they don't like, they just throw it away. So why shouldn't we be able to choose? I want to keep this and I want to get rid of this. 
I want to bring a voice from antiquity. There was an awesome theologian back in the day named Augustine, and he was arguing with a heretic named Faustus. And Faustus brought all these accusations trying to change Christianity, and Augustine just dismantled them one after the other, and he closes with this. He says, You ought to say plainly, just say it, that you do not believe the gospel of Christ. For to believe what you please and to not believe what you please is to believe yourselves and not the gospel. I get to be the mold and the gospel has to fit to me. Two of the most common ways that progressive Christianity will try to undermine scripture. The first one that they'll do is they'll say that scripture itself has been changing throughout time. That different authors at different time periods had different views of God and it has progressed so that, and this is what they conclude, so that our view of God today is more accurate in a higher view of God and his commands than even the biblical writers. Those inspired by the Holy Spirit, nope, we know better than them. Crazy, straight up cray cray. This makes God's self-revelation subjective to human opinion. And any attempt to, for us to be the determiner of what God says makes us little g, God. The second thing they'll do to try to undermine Scripture is they'll say that the extraordinary events that happened in Jesus' life were all metaphors. Jesus didn't physically die and resurrect. What really happened is that we use the word resurrection for spiritual enlightenment. And Jesus wanted all of his disciples to have spiritual enlightenment too. And you know what? This is what they say. The people in the first century read the Bible, understood that it was just all metaphors. But as Christianity progressed, we got stupid and actually thought that it was literal. But today, progressive Christianity is getting back to our roots and reading it the way it was written as metaphors. Do you know what the problem with that is? They have to throw out Peter. Because Peter writes to us in 2 Peter 1.16 and says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We have to throw out scripture to make an interpretation of scripture work. Can we trust the Bible? Three weeks ago, we defended the resurrection, that Jesus physically rose from the grave. If you want to listen to that, of why we can prove almost without a shadow of a doubt certainly beyond you know, like a 90, 95% certainty. Go back three weeks and listen to the last uh, message in the Jesus is King series. We just blew it up. It was so much fun. Can we trust the Bible? If Jesus resurrected from the grave, people, if he resurrected from the grave, that means that he actually is God. The only one who ever had power over death because God is life. If he resurrected from the grave, he is God. Which of your ancestors were able to do that for themselves? Try it. Like when you're 80, 90, be like, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see if I can be like Jesus and bring myself back from the dead. Go for it. Good luck. But if Jesus resurrected from the grave, he is who he says he is, and everything he stood for is true. So how did Jesus interpret Scripture? Over and over and over again, Jesus affirmed the Bible as God's very word. And like I said, in Matthew 5, he said, not one little bit of it 
will pass away. And then he went a step forward. He went a step further. He went into straight up brazen territory. He actually had the audacity to say, all of scripture is true because all of scripture points to him. Luke twenty two forty four, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Those are the three sections of the Old Testament. All of them, Jesus says, are pointing, their arrows pointing at Jesus Christ. Alistair Begg says it this way, We find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the Gospels, he's revealed. In the Acts, he is preached. In the Epistles, he is explained. And in Revelation, he is expected. All of Scripture points at Jesus Christ. So let's dig in. How does a Christian view Scripture? Scripture is three things. is revelation, revelation, inspiration, illumination. Can you all do that with me? Let's go way up high. Revelation, illumination. No, wait, inspiration, sorry. Illumination. So it's revelation because God is transcendent. He is spirit. He is above anything that we have the ability to reach. We are finite. We're physical. We're stuck here. We can't reach the spiritual realm. We have no concept of God. Therefore, Scripture has to be God reaching us. It is top down. That God saw us and chose not to leave us the way we were, but to reveal himself to us for his glory, for our salvation, and to equip us. And so revelation, so scripture is top down. It is revelation. Secondly, it's illumination. That God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the biblical authors to write correctly, perfectly, and truthfully. 1 Peter 1, 20-21 Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Whoever's hand was writing, they were taught and guided by the Holy Spirit to transmit God's words perfectly. So, Revelation inspiration, illumination. And that's where it meets us. The Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that gave inspiration is in God's people and is revealing God's word to them. For an unbeliever, for an unbeliever, this is a mystery and it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense. It's fairy tales. But to someone who has surrendered their lives to Christ, The Holy Spirit has opened their eyes, and this is life-giving, life-changing, purposeful. It's an anchor in the hardest of times. It is a revelation of who God is. It changes everything. It is revelation, inspiration, and illumination. And if that's true, if this is Scripture, if it is God-breathed, then it has five attributes. And they're so cool. And so beautiful. The first attribute is that scripture is necessary. All of nature, beautiful, magnificent nature, 
points to there being a creator. The order of things and the beauty of things points to a creator. It's supposed to to turn our attention to say, wow, there must be something bigger than us. There must be someone who is behind this artwork that we are in. But it can't bring us to saving faith. There must be not just a general revelation that there is a God. There must be very specific revelation that calls our hearts. There must be words. Imagine you're sort of artsy and you love a certain artist. And sometime you're traveling in like New York City and you get to go to this artist's art gallery. And you walk in and it's like whites are everywhere. It's like an Apple store with great lighting and everything. And what all this white does is it makes the color just pop off the canvases. And you look around and it's just magnificent detail and balance and everything that makes this artist special. And through looking around this gallery, you can see their talent, and you might even be able to pick up some personality traits of that artist. But there's still an anonymity. There's still a distance. But what if that artist comes out from behind the scenes? What if he crosses through the crowd and comes, and you end up talking to this artist? They shake your hand. You have a conversation. And then the artist says, you know what would be so great? I've got a coffee machine in the back. You want to come hang out for a little bit? And we can just talk and get to know each other. You're like, what? Well, something has changed. You're not just looking at the beauty of this artist anymore. You are now set up for the opportunity of a friendship, of a relationship. The gap is closed. There was an infinite gap of just the idea of who this artist might be. Now you are seeing them face to face. You're communicating through words. And that's what special revelation is. That's what this necessity is, is God giving us his word so we can have a relationship with him. So it's necessary. Secondly, it's clear. Yes, there's some things in here that are hard to understand. But as my old professor used to say, scripture is like a pool that a baby can swim in, but an elephant can drown in. And it's the idea that you might be a brand new believer. You just gave your heart to Jesus yesterday and you can open this up you can learn about who God is. You'll be able to attain and apprehend God through it. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Scripture will not fail to lead an honest seeker to knowing God and having salvation. So it is necessary, it is clear. Third, it is sufficient. Scripture is all we need as a believer to know God and be equipped for life in the world. It's everything we need. We don't need other philosophies, motivational speeches, or fortune cookies. This is it. It equips a believer. It is sufficient for life. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God that the man of God may be, or the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient for salvation, it's sufficient for transformation, and it's sufficient for proclamation. So it is necessary, it is clear, it is sufficient. Fourth, it is authoritative. 
We talked about this already. Because its author is the omnipotent, sovereign, creator God, God's word stands over us and demands our obedience. And if this bothers you, if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I don't really like that. Our lives have to, you and me have to be obedient to God's word. I'm not digging that at all. If that's inside of you, then the reality is that root of sin may still be in your heart. Because a believer has surrendered their life. We have been born again. Our old identity has been abdicated for Christ's identity. We submit to the word of God as the final authority in our lives. So it is necessary. It is clear. It is sufficient. It is authoritative. And finally, it is beautiful. It is intricately and beautifully expressed as the words of God. Imagine like a diamond and you hold the diamond up to light. Every passage of scripture is just like this diamond. And the more you turn it, the more you see the light refracting and reflecting. You see the colors and the tones. You see all the qualities and the attributes. and It just comes to life, just glows with beauty. And as you study scripture, as a believer dives into scripture, you hold it up just like that and you begin to see all the connections, all the revelations, all the truths that it contains. It is beautiful. We can spend a lifetime digging into scripture and never make it to the bottom. All the lifetimes of all the Christians that have gone before us, studying their whole lives, have still not revealed all the truths about who God is and his mighty works. We get to join that. We get to spend the rest of our lives letting scripture pour into us, letting it be the mold for our sanctification. So it is necessary, it is clear, it is sufficient, it is authoritative, and it is beautiful. Now, if you want to learn more about how we got the Bible and how it came to be into our hands, you can get on iloveelevate.com or search out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast and listen to the Book of Books series. And it is a a play-by-play of how we got the Bible. And I think it'll be profound for you. Challenging scripture is nothing new. It's not. Since the beginning of time, our enemy, Satan, has challenged scripture and has tried to create heresies inside the church, tried to dilute the gospel by challenging the word of God as being authoritative, being God's revelation. Tell me, What was the first scripture ever? Yell it out. What was the first scripture ever? Not bad, not bad. What was the first command of God? Yeah, you're on it, you're on it. So the very first speech of God to man was this. It's Genesis 2, 16. And God speaks a message of freedom and instruction. God is talking to Adam And he says this, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Go, be naked. It's awesome. You're free. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because there's danger. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now catch this. What was Satan's first deception? Genesis 3, 1-6. And the snake speaks to Eve, 
And he says this, did God really say? He calls into doubt God's words. That was the first temptation. That was the first angle of deception of the enemy. Did God really say? Can you really trust him and what he says? Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve responds, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. And what does the tempter do? You will not certainly die. He challenges God's word. The serpent says to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. What a loser just standing by watching this. He challenges God's word. You will not certainly die. No. God just doesn't want you to be wise. And I'm telling you, this progressive Christianity movement, their mantra is doubt everything about God's word. Disbelieve it first. Deconstruct. Doubt everything. Start looking into other religions. Start looking into other philosophies to gain wisdom and enlightenment. It's the same lie since the beginning of time. So here's my challenge. Maybe you've been on board with me the whole time. Yeah, Dom, God's word is his word. It is authoritative. It is true. It is clear. It is necessary. And maybe you're in here and you're like, I'm not buying it. That's just not for me. And maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Maybe you're like, ah, just undecided. I'm not sure if I'm the mold or I'm the clay yet. I'm just undecided. Elevate. If nothing else, let go of being committed to your truth. And I just challenge you to be committed to the truth, whatever it is. Let go of some flimsy, wavering idea of what truth might be. Maybe even the truth that there is no truth. Let go of that and make a life search for whatever is objective, is stable, is unwavering, is anchoring. And I have full confidence that if you are hungering after the truth and you're willing to go where it takes you, you will not have to look far. That you will find it in Jesus. You will find it in God's word. Recap. The Bible has three purposes. To glorify God, for us to know him, and to equip us. If scripture is God-breathed, it is true, it is eternal, it is authoritative. Christians view culture, politics, morality, etc., 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 through the lens of the Bible and not the other way around. Scripture is top-down, revelation from God, inspiration written by the Holy Spirit, and illumination, that same Holy Spirit gives us understanding. Scripture has five attributes. It is necessary clear, sufficient, authoritative, and it's beautiful. So I've got three challenges for you. One, get real honest. What is the lens that you have been tempted to read Scripture through? 
What is the lens that you just go in without even thinking about it? Maybe it's, well, this is how mom and dad believe. Maybe it's, this is how my friends believe. Maybe it's fear. I'm afraid to actually take this thing very seriously. What is the lens that you've been wearing? Be honest with yourself. My challenge, my second challenge is if you're going to dive into the Bible, maybe begin at the book of John. It is beautifully and masterfully written with a high view of who Jesus is. And the whole point of John's gospel is to bring us to saving faith. And my third challenge, and this is the fun one, is that you become active listeners during sermons. This coming Sunday, next Wednesday, the next time you're sitting with a sermon on YouTube, to be an active listener, to bring your Bible, to bring your highlighters and your pens, to bring your notebook, to open up the the Blue Letter Bible app on your phone. And as whoever is speaking, you're flipping to the scriptures, you're making notes, you're underlining things, you're taking notes in your journal, you're looking up what the Greek or Hebrew words mean in the Blue Letter Bible. You take it to a whole new level. You look into your cross-references and you say, whoa, this connects over here. And you're having your own little Bible study right there in the middle of the sermon. Become active in your growth from God's word. Don't just sit back and let things bounce off of you in one ear and out the other. Come in with expectation that you're going to grow, that you're going to stretch, that you're going to be challenged by God's word, that it's going to equip you for this week. Become active listeners. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. May you have received all the glory. Challenge every man and woman in here to make the decision. Will they be the mold or will they be the clay? Will we allow your word to transform us or are we going to approach it bending it to be what we want it to be? Lord, push back the tidal wave of this cancer that is infecting your people, robbing your word of its life-giving power. Thank you, Jesus, for every man and woman that came tonight. Challenge their hearts. Prick them, lead them, guide them, illuminate them. Do a work that no one can do from the outside. Thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for us. I thank you so much for your word. It is a sword. It is a light. It is an anchor. It is milk and meat. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Lord, we surrender our week to you. We surrender our lives to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.